Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you'll be meeting to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Matthew Bianco and Andrea Lipinski. Andrea, Matt, how are you today? Excellent. Excellent? Okay, good. I'm cold. We have a foot of snow that dropped last night, and it's still dropping. See, we just have cold and no snow. It's just wet and cold here. So and we're going to get down into the single digits. Fine. Show off. I was going to say we're going to get down to the teens later this week, but that's nothing, I guess. <laughs> well, we are uh, picking up with in Sophocles 1 with the second play chronologically, uh, Oedipus at Colonus. Andrea, I, I told Matt this earlier today when I spoke to him, but you'll see I'm, I'm working from some sheets of paper because... Uh-oh. The edition that I thought was Sophocles one was just Antigone, Oedipus, Tyrannus, and I forgot what it's called now. One of the plays from Sophocles two, so Electra. Yeah, I guess those are the most maybe the most taught or something. I don't know. So last night when I went to go do my reading, I was <laughs> scrambling and had to find a PDF version online to to Oops. mark up. So here we are. So you might hear a lot of flipping and flopping in my paper today. <laughs> Andrea, why don't you help us out with a with a summary again of of Oedipus at Colonus this time? I'll do my best. Um, in the beginning, Oedipus is traveling with his daughter Antigone, and he asks he has her guide him to a spot in a grove, and he sits on a rock. It happens to be a sacred grove, um, and the locals let him know that and want him to leave, and he asks to speak with the king. And um, it's granted. At the same time, then his other daughter appears and she brings a prophecy. Um, And the chorus tells him he needs to purify himself. Or somebody of his family needs to purify them. And one can represent all. So one daughter goes off to purify them. And um, the chorus wants to hear his story. He wants to hear it. They want to hear it out of his own mouth. And he doesn't want to say it. And finally, when he shares, he shares something along the lines of to where he says, you know, the chorus tells him you sinned. And he says, no, I didn't. Um, And so he says he's without sin and without guilt. And then um, in the next scene, the king, the local king comes, Theseus, and uh, grants Oedipus shelter and protection in their city um, as a, a law of the land. Right. When a when a stranger comes in and asks for shelter. It's granted. And so um, he does. And then uh, the second ode, the chorus now praises Colonus. And so we hear more of how wonderful this city is. And then we go on to the next scene. Um, scene three. Uh, his man, his brother-in-law by marriage, his uncle by birth. Creon shows up, <laughs> the man who took over the throne when he was uh, kicked out of the city. And um, Creon wants him to come back to the city with him. And he won't. And so Creon takes his two daughters as his possessions. And uh, Oedipus calls upon Theseus, local king, to hold to his promise of protection. And to protect his daughters. And so Theseus chases after the daughters um, to get them back. Um, And then we get to the next scene. And 
Theseus, I think it's Theseus who tells him that he has a man outside the city who wants to speak with him. And but who and why? And uh, it comes clear to him who that man is without even seeing or hearing that man's voice. And he doesn't want to see him. But his daughter says, or is it the daughter or the Creon convinces him? Daughter. The daughter convinces him yeah. to hear from him. And so he does. So his oldest son, Polynesis, comes in. And um, Polynesis says, uh, I am the worst of the worst, right? For having exiled you and what have you. But come back with me, dad. And let's go defeat uh, my little brother. Because um, he has wronged me. <laughs> wow. Um, the word tyrant comes in, which I thought was interesting, right? And now tyrant is being applied um, to the little brother. And um, Oedipus won't help him. Oedipus won't leave. And so he leaves, you know, and he's going to, you know, little sister, or I don't know if she's younger or not. I just, sister begs him not to go and you don't have to die like this, you know, because there's a prophecy that says you're both going to die if you do this. Both brothers are going to die. And he says, then then die, I must. And so uh, that things are fated. We have less choice than we think. So off he goes. And um, during the next episode, Oedipus calls for Theseus to come. And uh, he does. Tells him that I'm about to die and I need you to make me a promise that you'll go off with me to the land that I show you and bury me. And you'll never tell anybody um, where I am to be buried. Except when you're about to die, then you can tell your heir. And that's it. Nobody can know. And so they do that. And then I don't understand the last scene. The two daughters, Antigone, no, Ismene, the daughter who wasn't with him, guiding him in the beginning, the daughter who appears during this, this play, she wants to go find her, her dad's burial ground. And Antigone tells her, no, 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 no. And she even asks Theseus for that. And he says, your dad told me not to. And she said, okay, then so be it. I don't need to know. Before that, though, uh, Oedipus does ask Theseus to protect his daughters. He did the same thing in the first play, or the first play that we read, oh. right? He asked for Creon's hand on his daughters to protect them. Right. And here he comes and steals them. And now he asks for Theseus's hand on his daughters to protect them. So that did happen as well. Did I hit enough? I think that, yeah. Um, Nailed it. A lot happened. It's a lot, yeah. It's a um well when we, before we hit record, you you uh you were expressing some uh, <laughs> consternation, um yeah. questioning of why why these plays, why we read them, why you write them. Do you yeah. want to kind of share with the audience what you were wrestling with as you came to the end of this? I wish I could like find the exact spot where I was like, wait a minute, what why are we what is this about? Yeah, by I think it's it's in it's in the first scene near the end of the first scene. Um, Oedipus is speaking to the choristers in a way. Ismene is present, and he's putting curses on his sons. He's cursing his sons. I ask the gods to keep their core alive, but not them. Let them both wield their spears so that one who holds the throne dies, and the other. Who has gone off never returns. 
I remember how when I was expelled from the city, neither of them raised a hand to prevent it or defend his father. And it goes on, I, I asked to be stoned to death, but nobody came forward to grant my wish. I had been too harsh with myself about my errors. My sons were too busy squabbling over a scepter to give any thought to me, and they shall get nothing now from me in return. Right there. That's when I stopped and said, what is Sophocles teaching Athens through this? Or is he? Um, why do these continue to be read? Was this a common problem in the land? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. So that's my question. Is, does the does the does the question assume that he was right or wrong to curse his sons? Mm. I don't know how he gets the authority to curse his sons at this point. Like, is it just that he he did help father them, sire them, and so there's always that authority a father yeah. has over a son? Is that it? He helped. He helped. He helped father them. <laughs> Right. But sure I, <laughs> where I struggle is the um, mother didn't follow them. Okay. 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 Fine. Um, that there's a curse on his head prior to his conception, I think, even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so does that, does what then, like with that curse on him, what gives him the authority to have any control or authority over his children? I don't know why. I just kind of like, I feel like he doesn't get that anymore. Hmm. Why do you feel that way? I don't. That's what I said. I don't know where that comes from. Like he lost that. He he lost that. Um, why did he lose it? Because of the curse on him that he was fated to kill his father and marry his mother, that he doesn't have authority of, over those children. It, it doesn't make any reason. I don't have any reason for it. Now that I say it out loud to you, that's just what felt inside of me. Like, why is he doing this? But as soon as I say it out loud, like, no, okay. He's still father. I, I, yeah, he's still father. It's funny you say that, like, funny we were joking about whether he fathered them or not, because the the son does say, like, how does he put it? Or if I'm not your son, then, like, the son of fate or something, like, ill fate or something like that. He kind of makes a similar... Mm-hmm. When he's when he's addressing Theseus in in scene six, yeah. Anyway, I can't find the exact line now, but scene five is when Polynesus is there. Oh, it is, and is I your son, or if not, when he's going through the list of the people who are fighting with him, yeah. And, and the, the end of that, he says, "And that is I your son, or if I am not truly your son, since evil fathered me." Yeah. At least I am called your son. It is I who lead the fearless troops of Argos against Thebes. And maybe I'm more so bothered that with all of the cursing on him, why would he hand down curses? I think that's what it is. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I read it. I read it that he. So w- when the second daughter, I can't. I say her name. Uh, Ismini. Um when she comes, she brings oracles, right? She brings messages from the oracle mm-hmm. that he's been given the power to to bless in this life and and beyond it. Like that's like that, um, and that wherever his grave is going to be, that place will have his blessing or protection or can. Um, and so she tells him that both brothers are going to come looking for him because they want him. 
and Creon. Mm-hmm. Not to let it and but 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 not to actually let him back in the city, just to bury him right next to the city. <laughs> so I think that's where he at this point, because at first he seems concerned about his sons when she shows up, right? He says something like, you know, do you have bad news about my sons, basically? Or do you have news about my sons? Mm-hmm. And so it seems, I mean, I read that as concern. Maybe, maybe that maybe I'm maybe I'm stretching, but I read it that he was wanting news of them. Um or What's that? Or just expecting it. Yeah, expecting it. Or um, although we find out later that he he blames them for his exile, but also Creon. Like he blames all three of the men, I guess, for being exiled ultimately. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe he was hoping that they had had, had a real change of heart. But what he gets is a message that, yeah, they're going to come looking for you. But it's just because they want the advantage of your blessing so that they can have the throne. All three, all three men, right? All of which I found interesting after our conversation last time where we thought, where, where we kind of came around to the idea that that Crayon was the one who was paying attention to the to the oracles and the gods and making wise choices. But he's not, he's, he's a little, he seems a little more villainous in this, in this play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, isn't the accusation that, uh, that Oedipus makes that you didn't kill me when I wanted to be killed. Mm-hmm. You didn't exile me when I wanted to be exiled. Mm-hmm. And then you did exile me when I didn't want to be exiled. Mm-hmm. And and now it's basically to the point where now they're wanting to kill him when he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be killed mm-hmm. so that they can, or he can, Creon can bury him where he wants him buried mm-hmm. in order to guarantee future success for Thebes. And the, the son... Polynesis, who shows up there, I mean, his opening speech is basically like, I am, he says, I am a wicked son, the worst of men, to have come so late to see him and to have done so little to help. So he's acknowledging that he wronged his father and then immediately moves into this, come help me and let's do it. The success I want, right? Mm-hmm. And the, um, you know, the father based, you know, Oedipus is basically like, no, I'm not doing that. Not not only that, but you're gonna get worse than that. Cause in the middle, when he goes from uh I'm the worst, I'm a wicked son, he did little help. He says, My crimes can be atoned for. Surely they cannot be any worse. Right? My crimes can be atoned for. So, like this, we're good, we're gonna be fine. Right. He and Creon Creon both like promised to, to set him back up and like return him to Thebes and give, you know, at least let him be back in the city among his own people. But based on what the Oracle tells him, they're both, they're both lying, right? They're just telling him that to get in there. That's what it appears. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing about the, about the curse specific, well, I, there's two things I think about the curse. One is that his curse is no different than what the Oracle has already said. He's basically just saying, like, let the oracle be right, because the oracle has already has already said that if they if the two brothers go to war, they'll die. Oh, okay. And then the father's curse is basically like, let it be, let it be, let it be done. Um, but the second thing is that I think the two most heinous crimes that you could commit in antiquity. Mm-hmm. regicide and parasite 
So killing a king and killing your father are the two worst crimes. Um, I mean, that's kind of the justification, like, we're not reading it right now, but when we get around to reading the, um, what's it called? What about Agamemnon? Aristea. Yeah, the Aristea? Aristea. Aristea. Aristea comes along. Um, you know, Orestes kills his mother because she killed the king. Right. And then, but Orestes is guilty of killing his mother, but that's a lesser crime than having king killed a father. king or a father, right? So that he didn't kill his father and, you know, killed his mother is okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not okay. Like, the, the Furies are after him big time right. for it, but it's it's a lesser crime, right? So, um, you know, that these that these young men basically... I mean, they're not killing their father. They're not killing the king, but they're doing something that, well, if Socrates is right, exile is worse than death. Um, so. To have to live in, in exile, in isolation. And I don't, did I read this into it? But I, I, this is less explicit, I guess, but I got the impression that they was, he was where he was, where he was supposed to be like, he, he had been given, like previous to the scene we show up on, he's I think by Apollo maybe has been told he's supposed to go toward Athens, mm-hmm. and then that's the whole deal because he mentions the thunder and the lightning at the beginning, and that'll be the that'll be when he's being called his time, and then yeah. it shows up later, um, and so there seems to be to some extent in his exile he's suffered now for a long time, he's an old man. And now he's, um, but now he's a, a he's been following the leading of Apollo with the help of Antigone to go where he's supposed to go, and now he's just acquiescing to what the oracle says, and and he tells the people when he gets there that to tell Theseus, tell their king that if they give him audience and listen to him, it'll be a blessing to Athens, and then he tells Theseus the same thing without giving him all the details. Right. And Theseus gives him good hospitality and therefore gets the blessing. Mm-hmm. And so by the time his son shows up, he's already, he's already committed to, to, to Theseus in exchange for the hospitality he's, he's received. Just by the time Creon shows up, he's already committed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Creon. Yeah. So Creon would have to take him by force. Although Theseus is initially like, well, if they want you back, then you should go back. Mm-hmm. But then Oedipus is like, yeah, but they don't really want me. Yeah. <laughs> they want my benefits. It's fascinating that at this point he trusts this prophecy and he's paying attention to it and all the details around it, whereas he mm-hmm. missed some details of the first one. I mean, he he thought he paid attention. And so I kind of wondered, was this one going to, because I don't know this story going into it. I wonder, is there going to be a twist at the end? You know, like um, mm-hmm. that he's missing something. He's, yeah. he's missing who's who this is really about or something like that. Like he missed the first one. Sure, I can go kill five men. It's all right. I know it's not my father. Um, sure, I can marry some woman. Did you notice age. that when, um, when the elders are asking him for his story and he's like, no, I don't want to tell you. And then they're like, we just want the truth. Mm-hmm. His response is, oh, boy. <laughs> No, I've done that before. This is not. not this is not good. 
<laughs> wanting to hear a story. He's like, we've already heard it. We just want to make sure we're getting it from the words of the mouth. Yeah. Well, and 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 it almost sets up Theseus, this the Theseus in this play, as the the mirror opposite of of Oedipus in the first play, right? Because Theseus hmm. takes the prophecy that's been that's told to him that the like the blessings will come if you do these things uh, uh without without much question right like he 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 accepts that he accepts that that's the, the way things are and to the extent that he allows him to be in this grove that no one's supposed to be in because it's it belongs to the furies i guess is that am i reading that right Please. yeah there's a lot of interesting like he gets kind of this miraculous death that's kind of shrouded mystery doesn't have to like suffer through death and um it's almost like elijah or something yeah, right? yeah. by chariot of fire um yeah but only witnessed by one person well i guess that was true only witnessed by one person also but um and a double blessing is left behind for the person yeah who yeah. yeah for him and the land and the people yeah the yeah and, and i would come through a man who was cursed hmm that the blessing would come through a man who was cursed before his birth. Sounds very um, Christian, Christ-like. Mm -hmm. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, it's in that first, the first thing, I, I mean, the first place I noticed something was in the first, um, the first scene when he, um, is talking about or I guess he's praying to the spirits there mm -hmm. um being mindful of me and apollo because he also spoke of a resting place after long years i should find a home among the sacred furies that i might round out there my bitter life conferring benefit on those who receive me and a curse on those who drive me away that curse benefit on those who receive me and curse on those who drive me away i was like it's like when the apostles get sent out and you shake off oh, your yeah. dust, shake off the dust. I was like, so then, like after that, it was just like they, like you said, they just kept popping up, right? Like the 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 cursed man and the and the um and then the miraculous death and the uh, I mean, we can't judge Oedipus for this because he's you know obviously living in a or Sophocles, but because he's obviously living in a time before Christ. But man, if Oedipus had responded, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, instead he says, surely you two are not my sons, are no yeah. sons of mine. That's what he says. Uh, yeah. I think that's where I was struggling. Like, how does, how does this cursed man get to curse them, for one? Like, why pass on the curses? I guess the last thing I would think he would want to do is to pass on a curse. But then to not claim them. Surely you two are no sons of mine. Well, that's what I was before your consternation. That's one of the things I was coming in to talk about was that we when we read the first play, we seem to put more responsibility on Oedipus shoulders than maybe many contemporary, you know, readers, readings of it do uh, uh, over and against the idea that there's that there's there's no agency right that that in the in these ancient texts in the ancient plays the gods are just kind of doing what they do and people are just kind of stuck with it we pressed against that a little bit last time and put more on oedipus's shoulders mm -hmm. but in this play he repeatedly rejects a lot of that responsibility mm -hmm. um 
because it was he didn't know what he was doing. You know, it was set out before him, like it was prophesied before he was even alive. Whereas when he gets to his sons, he seems to be saying they they knew what they were doing. Like it was a knowing decision. And so I was questioning like how, like does the reading of this influence and now my reading of, of Oedipus Tyrannus? Yeah, I think the question that you have to ask is what, what view is Oedipus representing? Like mm-hmm. is he just representing kind of the common view or is he representing, like is Socrates, give, or Socrates, is Sophocles giving us a, an Oedipus who is saying what, you know, the common man would say, and it's wrong, and we're supposed to notice that, or is, is Oedipus representing the view that they should have, mm-hmm. whether they do or not, you know, that they should have? Is Sophocles embracing a, in this play, is Sophocles, Sophocles embla- embracing a fatalistic, deterministic view um, and then, you know, to what extent is even Oedipus embracing that? Like, he certainly sounds like he is, but is he, is he really embracing more of a terministic view or more of a, well, I'm not guilty when that happens and I'm not guilty when I'm ignorant. Hmm. Um, like there's a, there's a there's a a very clear ignorance excuses me in this situation. So it it, it doesn't even matter whether it was faded or not. I, didn't, I didn't, even if I did. I mean, if he if he embraces the fatalistic view, then yes, I'm not guilty because this was forced. You know, this was forced upon me. But if he's not embracing a fatalistic view, and instead he's embracing a a view on the grounds of ignorance. Then he said that it might be saying like it doesn't even matter if it was faded, whether it was faded or not. When I killed that man, I didn't know he was my father, so I'm not guilty of parricide. Hmm. He says he's guiltless. And then, and then, is that actually true? <laughs> right? Like, is a man not guilty? The thing that's the most amazing about it is in Oedipus Tyrannus. I feel I I feel, I read it where you know there's this sadness of course in Oedipus just being blind to everything that's should be obvious but also you know Oedipus is um to some extent guiltless like I mean guilty like he could have asked better questions mm-hmm. um made better decisions but in this view in this play at Oedipus, Oedipus at Colonus, he he has now concluded that he was innocent. Although he didn't think that, he says that he didn't think that by the end of this first first one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, not in the play, but like he felt like he should have been put to death, and then he felt like he should have mm-hmm. been like he blinds himself, right? Like he feels guilt, guilty, but now he's concluded that he's guiltless after you know living with it. And, um, and 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 then there's this blessing that's put upon him, right? Like yeah. the gods are saying, you now have the authority to give a blessing to whichever city you choose, 
but also this is the right one. And here's look for this spot, you know, right. He'll recognize it when like he recognizes it when he gets there, like he has Antigone describe it to him. And then he's like, yep, yeah, we're right where we're supposed to be. I'm going to sit here. Yeah. Now that he's blind, he has clear vision. <laughs> and it, so then is there, is there in some sense then is that like, what is the, what is the power to bless communicating about all the stuff that's happened? Like, it, does he have the power to bless because he he suffered for his crimes? Does he have the power to bless because he's right? He's not actually guilty of those crimes because of his ignorance or because of fate? Does he have the power to bless because the gods are capricious and whimsical and one minute, like the wheel of fortune has spun and he went from being cursed to now being, right. from being a curse to being a blessing? <laughs> This is interesting because it's it's like, um, I mean, they're not natural consequences, but it, it but it it makes me think of. It, I mean, is this if I act in ignorance, but err in that ignorance, and I, maybe I could have asked more questions but didn't, right? Um, I might not be found culpable by reason of ignorance for like imposed criminal um you know punishment right but i still may suffer the 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 natural consequences of that of that ignorant action right and so does does this play begin to level that out a little bit and you know the first place says it is pointing out you should have you should have asked more questions you should have been wiser and less rash and you are guilty of that but of 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 that error of that error right and that error has its consequences in that crayon's going to exile you get exiled you and your fit of fury gouged your own eyes out you know because you felt so disgusted with yourself and you're Poor stuck children. that yeah you're stuck that way now your kids yeah there's these natural consequences quote unquote natural consequences um but then this then the, then the second play starts to give some grace on that and that be like but you did not intentionally commit regicide or patricide um to your father the king and you did not intentionally you know sleep with your mother and produce produce children that are your siblings and your children um and so there you're not so is his is his claim true that he's not culpable of that by ignorance? And now that he suffered the the consequences that naturally flowed from his actions, the gods have shown grace and you know mercy or whatever, um, or even given him this power of the blessing curse. He's acquired wisdom through suffering <laughs> almost um, in a way that puts him in a position to to be the one blessing and cursing. Yeah, so I think in the first play that we read, he relies on his own strength. Mm-hmm. I got this. I heard this. I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to marry my mom. I'm not going to kill my dad because I'm out of here. I, I got this all on his own. Right. But then without his sight, which is a part of his punishment, he then is able to see because he's not relying on his sight and on himself any longer. Right. And so now he's he suffered. And he's become obedient. He's going where the gods told him to go, right, mm-hmm. to, to Athens. 
So through suffering and obedience, he's gained wisdom he didn't have before. So now when he gets knowledge, it's he can he has the power to bless and curse with that knowledge because he's he's when he's given knowledge by the oracle, he's been humbled enough and 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 obedient enough that he makes the right choice, right? Like he doesn't get tricked by Crayon or his son to go back and still be stuck outside the city. And he doesn't recognize Theseus as a as an honorable king. Um, and I don't know what happens in the next play, but he leaves he leaves his daughters who have been faithful to him in 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 Theseus's care. Who's, you just said he doesn't recognize Theseus as an honorable king. No, no, he does recognize him as an honorable okay. king. Like yeah. now he has the wisdom to know this guy is going to keep it. You know who yeah. he should trust, basically. Yeah. Um, I love how Theseus is like, don't make me say it twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I will do what I said I will do. And Theseus is the Minotaur guy, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I was trying to remember. The Minotaur. Okay. And then abandoned Ariadne, Ariadne, <laughs> on the uh, on the island after on the island. He's a man of action, clearly in this play too. Yeah. Well, he says that. Yeah. He he says something about that, right? Like it. Very specifically, yeah. A man who acts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not, I don't need to tell you what happened. I'm sure your daughter will tell you later, you know. So. What, uh, what, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I'm less interested in this question, but I'll say it anyways in case somebody <laughs> else is interested in it. Um, you know, the, the next play that we read, Antigone, was actually written first. Right. And apparently there's like a 30 year gap or something, a very long gap between Antigone and then Oedipus Tyrannus and then Oedipus Colonus. When Sophocles wrote them is the 30 year gap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Hmm. I wonder if. The, the, um, I wonder if there's a sense in which he writes Oedipus Tyrannus and then sees how the people respond to it. If, if your, if your corrective theory huh. is correct, Brandon, mm -hmm. then if he sees how the people are reacting to Oedipus Tyrannus and then feels the need to write a kind of corrective, if it is a corrective, right. Then he feels the need to write the corrective because they were over, they were over embracing the, um, the guilt or whatever, huh. you know, whatever they Corrected, right? Like I've heard, I've heard people, you know, on their first, maybe their first or second readings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, describe the Odyssey as a corrective to the Iliad. That the Iliad was too pro-war, and so then mm -hmm. Homer has to come and write a book about the how great home is. Home matters. That people would want to go back home. That's interesting because <laughs> um, there's a couple of. If that's true about the, I mean, I don't want to get off into a tangent, but if that's true about the Iliad and the Odyssey, like there's a couple of points in there that are, that correct the story from the Iliad, right? Like the guilt, how much guilt does Helen have or not have in leaving, right? And then Achilles, you know, his, his what he tells it, uh, Odysseus when they're, when they're in Hades about glory in war and things like that. Right. So there's several things that could be like a corrective in there. For those characters, interesting. I don't, yeah, that, I don't, 
I don't buy that about the Iliad and the Odyssey. <laughs> um, though I can see why people would think that. Like it's it is there is something to the idea like that it that that idea comes into one's mind when reading those books. It makes sense. I, I don't buy it as kind of a final argument, but um, but it does it does it is sensible. It does make sense. So it, it would be curious. It is curious, right? That that something like that could be going on here. If we're talking about it from the the playwright's perspective, right, rather than the. It's funny you said when you text might be driving us that way. The way you posed it was that a corrective because they were over embracing the. Um, the guilt but as you were like framing that thought i thought you were going to go the other other direction that they that they like revolted so much against how much guilt they were putting on he was putting on um oedipus like that's not fair like you know there was audience was like wait a minute he wasn't he didn't even know and (laughs) he's like i lost my audience (laughs) yeah i need to get Uh, back because i uh i was just thinking of um not that long ago tim was talking about maybe it was uh, on the when he's doing those he's been doing the shake the life of Shakespeare the last couple of episodes over on the plays of thing, and he mentioned how um, when he killed off Falstaff in the in the Henriad, that the Queen really liked that character, so he write this whole other play called the like a comedy that had Falstaff in it because the character was so popular, mm-hmm. like brought him back from like a took a previous play or previous time period. So, yeah, that's interesting though. It, it, um, huh. Yeah, having not read Antigone yet, that'll be interesting to kind of think about, like, what did he have in mind after writing Antigone when he wrote Oedipus Rex to fit those stories together? And then what did he feel like he maybe needed to do in between? Do you know the gap in time between Oedipus Rex and Oedipus at Colonus? I mean, Oedipus, the you know, Tyrannus. I think those are closer together. I mean, they would have to be. Surely it wouldn't be 30 and then 30 because that would have been be pretty old, pretty old man. ancient Greek standards. Yeah. yeah this was i was really unfamiliar with like i didn't know anything about this story at all this part of the story so yeah. this was this was fun to to get into and be like okay where's this gonna go um also that is is one of the questions um about agency you know and, and what how much agency one has and when when does one carry that that's a good question like, I wonder how much of a question that was for them versus right. for us. Like, I yeah. think it's impossible for us to get away from it as moderns when we read this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was talking this over with, I was talking about this the other day with Kobe after we did the first the first episode. Mm-hmm. And even when she went through the apprenticeship, like she struggled with this, even in the, in the epics a lot, in particular the Aeneid, mm-hmm. how much agency there is or isn't for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's got to be a common experience for us when we go back and read the ancient Greeks and Romans. Um, and there's so much involvement of the gods, like really directly in what they're doing. Um, but I'm curious uh, how much of that would have been a question for them. I don't, I don't know that yeah. there is an answer to that, or but, but it's certainly one worth wrestling for us, right? Like how much agency does a person have? Yeah. Why does, have? why does um, Oedipus try to avoid the, the prophecy why do his parents try to avoid the prophecy a prophecy can't be avoided right so they obviously thought it could yeah but then it's obviously saying Haha, try and you but you can't no matter like is that the you know, hubris right, 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 right. the tyrant yeah 
that you even tried, right? Because we have two tyrants here. Right. Oedipus Tyrannus, as well as his youngest son being called a tyrant by Sophocles. So is it hubris to try and avoid something awful? Or is it just hubris to try and avoid something awful under your own power, as opposed to, like, beseeching the gods to, to undo it, to take it away, you know, whatever. Um, and when you say awful, I was like, is it is it hubris to try to avoid what the gods have said? But yeah. But it's not like we escape the question of how much agency we have as moderns. I mean, certainly uh, with when you think of like, I guess, an agnostic viewpoint of the modern, the modern, like how much how much agency you have versus how much of it's just chemical reactions in your brain, but um, that you can't control. But even among even among Christians, there's debate of how much agency we is, and it's answered differently by different Christian traditions. I mean, that's been part of the conversation for centuries now so i think it's worth i think it's whether the greeks asked it or not it's a question worth wrestling with i don't know how different denominations church traditions would answer that so that's a that's a different question well i mean without getting too far into this road yeah. <laughs> into this road you know how, yeah. how do you read the words predestined about predestination in scripture okay. is, sure. is that's read, right. you know various ways so but why don't you uh, go ahead and break it all down for us, Brandon, and tell us yeah. what Jason believes and what, what, they get right and what they get wrong. And, uh, I'd be doing well if I could get it right for the my own church tradition, which I probably would get wrong. So I'm not even going to attempt that. So, um, yeah, I, I would be getting hate mail from all sides, misrepresenting my own tradition, definitely misrepresenting other traditions. I don't, I don't need that at Christmas time. I don't, I don't need that at Christmas time. So. All these people calling down curses upon them. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. Like that that part I don't get. So Exodus 20, uh, verse four and five, I think it is. Um, I I I think that's when the Ten Commandments are being given on tablets. And um he says, God says then that for those, and I'm gonna get it backwards and wrong, but uh for those who love him, he blesses for a thousand generations. And for those who hate him, he curses for three to four generations. Um, and so that's where I guess I, I really struggle with that. Like uh, a man who's been cursed to pass on curses to his sons. Well, who, who be, was cursed? Oh, you said, Brandon, I'll the, the sons. Well, I was just going to say that if his parents are the first generation and he's the second generation, his sons are the third generation. I know they're just getting cursed and right in line with that Exodus passage. So it'll be whether or not Antigone's kids get, uh, get cursed. I don't know. I don't know what happens in the next play, but. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know where, what? where it started with the grandparents. Like we don't know. Yeah. And the, the, um, and then the, the, on the commandment to honor your father and father and mother Paul tells us is the first commandment with promise um, yeah. because it, because it connects those, those blessings. Right. So he, uh, they're, they've, they've abandoned those blessings by refusing to take care of um, yeah. Oedipus. So in some sense, there's it, again, it's not so much a curse as much as a, let it be done, right? The curse has already been opposed, but I don't, I mean, what is it? A, is it a curse? Is a prophecy a curse? To say this, to say prophetically, this is what's going to happen, or this is what could happen. Is that is that to curse the person? So is Oedipus cursed because 
there was a prophecy that he would kill his father and marry his mother? Mm. Or is it just, this is what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I guess I... Because it might be a, it might be a, a, it might be a leap. It might not to say he was cursed. So why is he passing on the curse? Why is he extending the curse? Mm -hmm. If he wasn't cursed, right? If he was just, it was just a prophecy. I guess I, I see a prophecy that's positive as a blessing and a prophecy that's negative as a curse, but that could not be an appropriate way to see this. Yeah, unless the prophecy is somehow being prophesied because he deserves it in some way. Or because the person giving it thinks he does. So a curse has something to do with deserving? That's implicit in it? Or is a prophecy that the gods can say whatever? Well, it's I don't know if it's deserving, but it's like a blessing or a curse. A blessing or a curse is something that you give, that the giver gives. Like for a reason a prophecy is just describing the future what's going to happen unless the prophecy is i'm going to i'm declaring this is going to happen right because i want this to happen to you so is that kind of like when jesus gets asked hey jesus who sinned this man or his parents that he's blind right like where did it start where did this come from yeah. And so for in this case, is there a, is there a because then it's a curse. But if it's just a statement of fact, hey, world, you need to know this is what's about to happen to this guy. Pay attention. Right. And the Coincidentally, oracle- Jesus says, no, it happened so that you could see what what I'm about to do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, That's why I'm, I'm making the parallel. Which then makes you wonder is Sophocles and I do not like this theory at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, it, it's it's way too reminiscent of of bad theories that I've heard about Virgil. Uh oh. Um, but is according to this theory, is Sophocles writing propaganda mm-hmm. to explain why Athens is so great? Yeah. He create this whole story in, about Oedipus in order to. Well, I'm sure he didn't create the story of Oedipus. It probably comes from somebody before him. But did he turn the whole Oedipus story into? propaganda to explain the greatness of Athens. That's what because, I thought was when I read the first ode. Because Theseus receives the blessing. Mm-hmm. Rather than Thebes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. I mean, I can see why that uh, is considered. Why don't you it's, like that one, Matt? I don't, because it's not, it's not, it doesn't explain the story. It just tells me why the guy wrote it. It doesn't tell me what the story means. If I reduce the Aeneid to propaganda for Rome, I'm not, I don't understand the Aeneid. I just I have this supposed understanding of Virgil's motives, not what the story means, not well, what it's really teaching us. I don't feel like it replaces. If I can understand that Aeneid, that Virgil could have written the Aeneid to help these people understand this part of their history, I don't know that that. How does that take away? From the story and knowing the story. Well, you said you just said it differently than what I said. Did I? Because the okay. theory that people say is that the Aeneid is just propaganda, just to promote how great Rome is, or to make uh, Augustus Augustus feel great about himself, or whatever you know. 
the um and if I'm saying that if I'm saying that the Theban Blazier, the Oedipal cycle mm-hmm. truth of trilogy is just propaganda for for Athens, mm-hmm. well then then if I start answering questions like why does why does um why does Oedipus choose Athens over Thebes? Well, because he had to, to for Sophocles' goal of proving how right. great Athens was. Well, that's a bad. That's not. That's okay. that's bad writing. This, this the Oedipal the Oedipal plays and the Aeneid would not be re, we would not be reading and discussing them today. Too. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was the limit. that was the answer to every question. Oh, Oedipus does this in order to support Sophocles' goals. Right. Aeneas does this in order to support Virgil's. Propaganda. It's not. It's not allowing Sophocles' text to say what it says. It's assuming something you, that you know what he really was trying to do. Because right. because that answer from that text, the answer from the text is, it appears Apollo made the decision to bless Athens. Right, led him to to Athens, hmm. and so Apollo is choosing to bring that blessing to Athens. Um, maybe because of how Crayon and his sons have already behaved. And so he's, you know, not going to get that blessing to Thebes. Who, who knows? Or maybe just because Apollo likes Athens better. But, but it's the God who's giving the blessing, not Sophocles wanting to say why Athens is great. Right. But if Sophocles is trying to teach them, or Virgil is trying to teach them something about their history and and the way they think and the way they act, and you know all of that stuff, their motivations and their loves and their fears. That's different. I mean, that's, that's not a replacement for what's happening in the story, but that's supplemental, you know? Yeah. Like I could, I could buy, I could buy the argument that he is, in addition to other things, he's also pointing out Theseus's nobility and faithfulness and honor. And that it was a blessing to Athens and that we should emulate as Athenians, we should emulate this forefather, right? The same way, and he seems to be emulating um, Colonus as well, right? Who's who was honorable? The, the the play tells us at the beginning and noble. So that I could see as part of so- Sophocles' intention to instruct, be like Theseus in this play, not Oedipus in the last play, <laughs> um, and be more like Oedipus in this play where he's gained wisdom. Yeah, notice that notice that Theseus even refuses to accept Oedipus as a suppliant until he knows whether it's going to bring a blessing or a curse upon them. Yeah. Right. Like he says But he trusts him. If it will bring no harm. Right. Right. Then we'll do this. And that's not how Oedipus responds when he hears about the oracle from Delphi. He's just mm-hmm. like, well, we're gonna kill this guy. Whoever did this, we're going to find him. We're going to kill him. Yeah. He doesn't say, I mean, unless, you know, it brings death upon myself or, you know, whatever. He doesn't. He's he doesn't got no caveat. He's so categorically. Yeah. So binary. And then Decius is like, well, let's have some wisdom about this. You know, let's think about this. And Okay. So on that, this, this play, the second play opens uh, with Oedipus's opening lines. He's speaking to his, his daughter. And he ends that first paragraph and he says, uh, for suffering and time have been my companions, have instructed me in contentment. Mm-hmm. Nobility, too, teaches me patience. 
And so for that one, like I actually went ahead and marked suffering and time in pink as the the actor here have been his companions. They've instructed him in contentment and nobility is pink in that it has been the one to teach him patience to, to see that. So he, you know, like goes back to what you were saying, Brandon, in that suffering, is there now a shift in him? Yeah. We have a new man here. It's also interesting that when he, when he, when he approaches Theseus, he promises Theseus that it will bring good things, mm-hmm. but he doesn't tell him what. Right. He refuses to tell him what. Right. Until the agreement, which is the very thing that he's frustrated with Creon and his sons over. They want to use him, mm-hmm. and he wants Theseus to agree to to agree to hospitality before Theseus knows enough to use him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. This will not bring bad to you. This will be good. Like he says in the beginning when he's, I mean, it's just his daughter there. The passage you were just reading. Mm-hmm. He says, who now shall welcome wandering Oedipus who brings but scanty gifts, right? right. And he wants Theseus to accept him on, on the grounds that it's, the good is scanty, but I it's promise good. you it won't, it won't be negative, right? Yeah. Uh, and then when he agrees... And he demonstrates his commitment by saving the daughters and protecting him from Creon and the son. Then he tells him the full deal. And, you know, basically you're going to go to war with Thebes someday and you're going to just, you know, you're going to defeat them now because of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And probably not just against Thebes, but against any city, which holds true until Sparta. Mm -hmm. Um, The, uh, I wonder why, is it because his, bones were completely dissolved or did somebody find the grave and remove them um to sparta <laughs> or, did, or did one of the in the line of kings stop going out there and yeah oh yeah hang on with you mm-hmm. yeah so so i i think if i think that seeing how he how important it was for him to win theseus's hospitality apart from a tit for tat kind of agreement demonstrates why it was such a, it was such an evil to him that Creon and Polynices wanted to use him. That's good. That's a good juxtaposition. Well, and it also really highlights, because I've been wondering like, why did Theseus trust him? He didn't know more, you know, is it good or bad? Good. But I can't tell you more than that. Right. And he, he does it. And then he holds to it. Like, how often does the king ride out? Not He didn't send his men, right? He himself yeah. went out to rescue those daughters. Um, so he, he was true to his word. That's a different kind of character in this play than we have seen yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a map that shows where Colonus is relevant, relative to Athens mm. is very difficult on Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, yeah it, it's almost like wisdom and ability come either from suffering or from being humble and obedient to begin with right mm-hmm. and and then if you start with the suffering you end up having to be humble and obedient anyway but if you start there you can maybe avoid the suffering but like that seems to be one of the one of the ways you become wise though is to suffer right whether it's in Greek tragedies or other other things from antiquity and even even 
I don't know, even Paul, right, has to suffer. You have no idea how much you're going to suffer from my name when he when he be. There's that seems to be a a, a, a consistent theme. I think all through the ages that that's one of the ways to wisdom is through suffering. But maybe you can avoid it if you're just obedient and have some humility, like Theseus does. Yeah. Does it? Does it? Does humility prevent the need to suffer in order to gain wisdom? But if you don't have wisdom and humility, then it's going to come the hard way. Yeah. Bad point. Um, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made that last comment about maps. I was totally distracted trying to find where <laughs> where Columbus was. And was it close enough to Sparta that the blessing could have been? I'm just being. I, I shouldn't have been doing that during the, the blessing could have been stolen, like uh, like Jacob and Esau. Like so, I, I actually missed what you were saying, and Andrea, and then. I just responded, yeah, and then jumped into the map comment, which was not not cool. So my apologies, but okay. Happens. Well, we've been going for a while, uh, so we'll wrap up on on Epis at Colonus. Um, I should have mentioned this last time uh, when we were doing. Since these are individual plays, even though they they all work together, if if you have questions regarding. Uh, this play or the previous play, you can go ahead and start sending those in to us at podcast at circeinstitute.org. That's podcast with an S. Um, and we'll start collecting those for the Q&A uh, episode. Um, or you can send them in at the end for questions that kind of have to do with the whole cycle. But this episode should air the week after Christmas. And then um, and then Antigone, the that first week of January. So we've got a few more weeks before we'll be doing the QA, but if you want to send those in, you can. Um, any any closing thoughts before we head out from either one of you? I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's not as straightforward as I want it to be. The play isn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I was surprised after the conversation we had last time. I thought we landed on a a good interpretation that this challenged it a little bit, or at least maybe have to think about it more. So. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Let's see what uh, Electra or Antigone says. <laughs> not, not Electra, Antigone for sure. It's uh, it was 12 years. It was a 12 year gap. The in between Antigone and then Oedipus Tyrannus, but I don't know if I couldn't, I didn't see any gaps between the other two. So, okay. but so it'll be interesting to see what kind of story he tells before he tells these stories, right? Yeah, yeah. But you're saying there's the, a 12-year gap between Tyrannus and Colonus? No, no between Antigone. Oh, only a 12 yeah. between Antigone. Yeah, I think I said 30 earlier. Right, got it. Yeah, what kind of story he told with some with his his audience having some assumed knowledge of this this part of the story, right? These two parts of the story. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he puts there. Which is why we read it in this order. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Because we don't have that assumed knowledge for the most part. So. No. All right. Well, thank you both again for joining me. Uh, and thank you out there in podcast world for, for listening to us jabber on about Oedipus at Colonus. We'll see you guys next week for Antigone. Bye.